Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Bright Side. My name is Joshua Bright. I'm going to be taking you through our little experience today. I'm joined by Jim. Jim, yet again, how are you doing today? Doing awesome, dude. The day after Flyers win, man, doesn't get much better. It it feels absolutely amazing to have the, a series lead for the first time since 2012. It's, it's, <laughs> oh my it, God, it, it's it, been it, that long. Yeah, since we lost four straight to the Devils. Holy crap, man. And then... It was in doubt for a little bit yesterday, it seemed like. Yeah, um, you know, I thought the Flyers came out really hot yesterday. And uh, I they played with a lot more of that pep than I expected them to, considering Montreal had just got out of an actual playoff series and the Flyers were in a, a round robin. That's Bruins fans would claim they didn't take seriously. Capitals fans said they weren't in sync. You know, Flyers just didn't have that fire that the uh, Penguins and Montreal series had. But I thought the Flyers came out really hot and, you know, my issue was after that first goal that uh, Provorov shot in on the power play, deflected off Voracek, allegedly. I thought the Flyers got really comfortable with their lead. They were very sloppy in the second, and it was a little bit of a toss-up. Yeah, so I've been on past shows, and I think I said it on the last time why show people are probably like, yeah, Jim, we heard you already. But the Flyers kind of, first periods with the Flyers are kind of washes. And here's my thought there, because the other team comes out with their best shot as well, you know. Uh, the second period, what we usually see is the Flyers start to take over the game. And by the third period, it's the game's over. It's locked up. Now, if Montreal was going to have a chance in this series, they were going to have to kind of counter what the Flyers do in that second period, not let the Flyers take it over. And not only did they do that, but they basically controlled that second period. And as soon as that, as soon as they kind of pushed back like that, I'm like, this is going to be a series, man. This is not going to be as easy as everybody thinks. You know, it, it's uh, it's good you mentioned the uh, the Flyers' starts because I think a big part of their game is that heavy forecheck, the two men in dump and chase style, and it takes a bit to establish that. And until they do their first periods, they kind of rely on their goaltenders to to get that to make sure you know there's no two goal deficit going into the second. And, you know, they have their legs and, uh, you know, Carter Hart yet again, just doing amazing things in the first period. But, uh, yeah, they they seemed like in the second period, even when they had their, uh, their you know, their style of play going, they, their passes were not very crisp. Uh, players took a long time to make decisions with the puck. And I think that just wasn't a very Philadelphia Flyers second period we saw out of them yesterday. You, so you bring up a good point. So for me, uh, I had like orange colored glasses on last night. Like I... I I'm thinking back, and uh, you know, people are mentioning Niskanen. Uh, people mentioned that Braun didn't have a great game, and I'm watching it, and I'm not noticing that stuff for whatever reason. Like I mentioned, I everything was Braun had a poor game whatsoever. Okay, so but like last night, everything was good for me last night, as long as it didn't lead to a goal. Like I was okay, but I also under like I get it. Like Niskanen didn't have the greatest game, and the more we're talking about him, like. Why, why were they taking so long with the puck? Like, why were they taking so long to make decisions last night? And I'm, I'm to your point here, I'm wondering if there is a difference in competitiveness between the round robin and what the Canadians have been doing already for a couple games. I think we talked about it on our list, on our first show a little bit. I think it was this one. We weren't sure if, if the intensity was going to be different or not between the playoff series and the round robin series. Uh, for sure. I think, uh, you know, like I said before, Montreal just got on a very heated series with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, the Penguins weren't really on their game, but, you know, that's the Canadians. They come at you hard. They come at you fast. Their whole plan is disrupt your game plan. 
And they did that perfectly against Philadelphia. And thank God we had a reliable goaltender to back us up there. For sure, dude. And let's talk about Carter Hart because... Yes! To begin this series, obviously, Carey Price has been around. Obviously, he's the man, right? But for Carter Hart, the story around him was, oh, he's playing his idol. It's not... You know, Carter Hart can steal this series, too. And I think last night was the example of that. Like... I don't know. Who's there more pressure on if there's pressure at all? Carey Price or Carter Hart, you know? Um, I think Carey Price, you know, he has that warrior mentality. You know, he's been in the league a long time. So I think he has more pressure on him now because he doesn't have a team in front of him that could carry him to a playoff win. You know, he's got to be the guy. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Carter Hart may have a bad game or two in the series, but he has three lines of offense that can compete with Montreal's top line any day. So I'd say there's more uh, pressure on Carey Price. However... You know, Carter Hart is coming into his very first playoff series. You know, they counted the round robin as playoff games for him. But I, you know, this is that was his first playoff game. And I think, you know, he's I hope this wasn't the case for him. But, you know, he's staring down the ice at his idol, the guy he watched growing up playing. You know, he I, you know, Carter, Hart is a, he's a very, very competitive guy. And I think he wanted to he wants to outdo Carey Price. I think that's oh, just yeah. that's the athlete nature. But um. To your point, you know, the entire narrative coming into this was Carey Price can steal a series. You know, Carter Hart, he's a top three Canadian goaltender in the world right now, and he can steal a series for you, too. Yeah. And as a Flyers fan, I think we forget that because we're not used to it. But last night was classic example. Like, the Flyers were having a hell of a time scoring goals. I mean, it doesn't help that you have friggin' Carey Price coming out of nowhere, Superman diving, somehow I... saving... Somehow stoning Scott Lawton, right? I, I did not believe he got an inch of that puck. But it's not even that he, you know, he he had the paddle in good position. He had it horizontal <laughs> to where that thin little fourth of an inch is holding out and still got a piece of that fucking puck. Insane, dude. Insane. And I'm sitting there like, man, why did why'd Scotty have to shoot it so hard? Like, there's no way in hell. Like, if that, if that whole play happened again, that's a goal. Uh and then, of course, Nate Thompson, you know, missing that empty net. I mean, that, the pass came in at 100 miles an hour, so it's tough for me to really fault him. But the Flyers had their chances to go up by more than a goal in this one. They did. And, you know, 99 out of 100 times, Nate Thompson puts that puck in. You know, I'm not, yeah. not going to take him out of the lineup because he missed a wide-open shot. You know, you, do, you give him that again, he's going to bury it. But really frustrating because, you know, uh, a lot of the talk was that Nick Suzuki's uh, post shot at the end of the game, that could have tied it. And that was really the back and forth. And, you know, the Flyers had many, many chances. You know, it didn't appear that way because they, they, you know, they got, they didn't really, you know, come out to anything. But, you know, JVR had a couple of good looks. Giroux hit the post. Thompson had a few shots. You know, that easily could have been a four to four to five to one game. And, you know, we're not talking about a last minute uh, post ring being, you know, yeah. the difference. Yeah, you're talking about pulling carry price the last two minutes. Who knows what happens? Uh I'm interested to see how these teams go into the next game. You mentioned a guy like JVR, though. Do, do you remember that play where I couldn't believe it was JVR at this point, but he flew by the defender along the boards, and he took the puck around the outside, looked like he was going to make a power move on Price, ended up throwing a lollipop up there. But, like, JVR has that in him. Do you recall that play? I don't. The one JVR play that stood out to me was when he cut to the slot and feathered a pass instead of a shot. Oh, my God. I was frustrated with. 
Yes, dude. Come on. Making seven million bucks to score, dude. And you're playing on a on a fourth line. Like who are you passing the puck to, man? You're the yeah. guy. He's the guy on that line. And if he has that luck, you know, he scored 30 goals many times in his career. He can put that puck in the net. Yep. I, and you know what's crazy, man? I think if he's on his game, he's crucial for this series because he's the Flyers' big body, supposedly the net net front presence guy. And I don't know about you, and we have a guest coming up in a, in a couple minutes here, but I, we'll ask her as well. Did it look like the Flyers kind of changed up their attack strategy just a little bit here? I mean, they're going up against Carey Price. You can't let him see a shot or he's going to save it. The fly, like the Flyers need the big bodies in front. To me, it looked like they were directing more uh, passes out to the point for one-time point shots to maybe hopefully get a deflection and whatnot. That's how, they, that's how Provorov scored. But did you notice a difference in, in the attack style yesterday? Yeah, you know, you looked at the two goals we scored against Carey Price. You had Jake Voracek's body in front on the first goal and then Joel Farabee's body in front on the second goal. You know, that's that's how you have to attack a goaltender that can steal games. And I do think the Flyers changed up their uh, attack strategy a lot based on, you know, their line shakeups before the game. You know, Montreal is not a deep team. My concern going into this was the Couturier line didn't have a real line they have to shut down. You know, that playoff matchup wasn't as important as it's going to be for other teams say we move on when we move on and um you know with the flyers lineup now you have couture on the first line connect and hayes on the second line you have Voracek on the third and jvr on the fourth any line that the flyers roll out should be able to score on a montreal canadians line no matter who it is so i think their their offense style is going to change a lot depending on whether farabee stays on the first line or you know they go with the guy they know in jake Voracek back on the on the right wing yeah, I'm, that's going to be an interesting switch. A lot of people are calling out, uh, you know, obviously JVR, and I don't think there's anybody saying that Ghost should be swapped out already. No, certainly but, not. Uh, go ahead. What was the? You want to finish that thought there? Oh, certainly not me. Um, if there's any talk about defensemen, I think Shane Gosses Bear was not one to be complained about last night. No, he played okay, right? Yeah, just fine. Yeah, well enough to to get another look. Uh, JVR, though, there's people out there clamoring maybe JVR should take a seat. I'm not sure anybody should sit out yet, maybe shuffle the lines, a line or two. You know, maybe put Jake back up on that top line because he's kind of one of those guys where I think he, he needs to play on that top line. And I'm, I'm not sure if he's nursing an injury or maybe they're sure, uh, they have a shorter leash on his ice time for, for the time being. But I think he needs to play with Giroux and Couturier. Yeah, you know, going into that game, I wasn't sure if Voracek was being put on the third line simply because he's, you know, he's coming back from from an injury and they're going to give him less minutes and or whether it was Farabee looked really comfortable in that game against Tampa and they wanted to roll that line because they like how it looked. Um, I think Jake Voracek can bring something to that third line because, you know, you have Derek Grant, who he's not going to create offense by himself. You have Nicholas Abe-Kubel, who's going to compete so hard in the corners. He's going to throw hits. He's going to he's going to control control entry, dump entry, he's going to go retrieve the puck. And I think it's so important to have a guy like Voracek on that line who he's the guy on that line. You know, Voracek, you could argue maybe whether it's him or Giroux, but Voracek's the last guy on the, fir- on the first line that's important to the offense. You know, Katsuri and Giroux are controlling all of it. So I think it's, it's kind of good you spread out the wealth on a team like Montreal that's not very deep. Really good points there, man. You mentioned guys like Grant and Albe Kubel playing with Voracek. That's not a normal third line. That's a skilled third line there. Uh, you mentioned that's, first. That's an elite first line center. Uh, dude, I've been saying that all week. <laughs> <laughs> elite line center. Uh, 
Derek Grant, man, that's that's great, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be nice if they can get some contributions from him because I love the guy. He hasn't looked like he did before the stoppage, though, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they have a real good guy in Derek Grant. You know, he on that play where I think it's Xavier Olette took him into carry Price very hard and Price gave him those few YI autos. Uh, I think Derek Grant made a really good, uh, you know, move to the net. I think he has that kind of power forward mentality where he's important in the playoffs and he hasn't shown it quite yet, but I think he's going to pitch in a few goals, especially if he's still playing with Jake Voracek. You know, great point. And we were just talking about potentially net front presence there. I wonder if, if they sub him in, I wonder if he makes it easier to potentially sit JVR because you have a big bodied guy that can put the puck in the net like Derek Grant or Kevin Hayes. You know, I'm just speculating there because I would like to see JVR stay in and succeed, score a couple goals. Cause I think he's, I think he's a, he's a good hockey player. He's a good scorer. Sure. Uh, once he, once he gets rolling, he gets rolling, but Derek Grant is an option, man. That could be one way to get him going. Yeah, if you're talking about JVR of the lineup, I don't think there's anyone I'd replace him with, unless, of course, you know, Morgan Frost is ready for a top nine spot. But uh, I don't think Derek Grant's going to get a lot of, he's not going to get power play time on this team, even on the second power play. You know, we're just too deep in offense. But I think, you know, that was Derek Grant's role in Anaheim, and that's how he produced so many goals for a fourth line center seeing 10 to 12 minutes a night. Yeah, there you go. I, I I just love this team, dude. There's so many things that they can do. They can move guys all over the ice. They can sub this guy out for this guy. They're a fun team to watch, man. I um, uh, You know, I don't think we ever could have said this in the history of Philadelphia, but is there an easier team to root for in the NHL right now? You know, they're fun. They have some great storylines. You know, it's the Oscar Limbaugh news is obviously sad, but, it, it, you know, it gives people a reason to, you know, to tune into the Flyers to see how he's doing. You know, this is an easy team to root for. Yeah, and, and like, it hasn't been easy to say that the last couple of years. It's like... You don't hate anybody, but some of these guys are just like, man, why are you still around, you know? And you look at this team, and I don't think there's a single player that I could say that about. I love I love these guys. Yeah, certainly. You know, they're not rolling out uh, Jay Rosehill and Sestito on the fourth line anymore, you know? <laughs> oh, my fans, God. Fans aren't like... watching these games saying, oh, I can't wait to see that slug off the ice, you know? Like, yeah, this is, it's, a, it's a deep offense, and every player's fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Nate Thompson almost scoring another goal last night and JBR playing on that fourth line. You know who I didn't hear too much of last night? And, you know, beginning of the season, I would I don't think I would ever be saying this, but Tyler Pitlick, I think, kind of had a quiet game for Tyler Pitlick standards. Yeah, I didn't hear from the pity party yesterday. And uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's usually a player you notice, you know, whether, you know, his forecheck or his his quick feet or his just ability to create shots for himself. You know, I... I didn't see him once last night, and maybe that's not a bad thing because he's on the fourth line. You know, if you're not seeing him, he's not making mistakes. But uh, yeah, quiet night from Pitlick. But you're you're going to expect that from guys on the fourth line, for sure, for sure. So uh, yeah, Flyer. I mean, everybody knows by now. It's been uh, about a day. Flyers won two to one last night, uh, a goalie duel, and I think that's what we expect for the rest of the series. Before we uh, before we ring in Veronica here, do you want to give? Uh, did we do series? Uh, projections last episode we didn't you want to give your series projection yeah of course so for this flyers montreal series i'm saying flyers and four and <sighs> that is no attack on the montreal canadians i think every single game is going to be a battle i think they're going to give it to us every night if they take one game it's because carrie price shut us out but i'm saying flyers win four very tight games in a row 
I'm hoping, man. I'm hoping because these guys, they look like they have some fight in them. They, I don't know if you get the uh, the NBC uh, SN broadcast with Jim Jackson and uh, I think it was Bill Clement last night. But I did. That's why That's why I threw in that why I ought to. Yeah. So Chris Terrian before the game said he thinks it could go seven games. What are, you, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I could see it going seven seven games. I mean, you know, that really depends on Carey Price and if the Montreal offense gets it going. But uh, I don't look at that Montreal offense and think three to four goals. And the Flyers are capable of three to four goals a night, even on a goaltender like Carey Price. You know, unless a player like Jonathan Druin or a player like Arturi Lekkinen is going to come in and, you know, take over for that offense, I just I don't see them scoring a lot of goals in the series. That's See, that's a great point there because the – Essentially, the Flyers have their own carry price, right? So it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to who can score two goals, who's going to score three goals, and whoever gets two or three has got a really good shot at winning, you know? Yeah, I don't know if that was the whiskey or your statement, but I, I got chills there. <laughs> uh, just compare. Putting Carter Hart and Carey Price in the same boat is, as a Flyers fan four years ago, if you told me that, I'm ecstatic and I don't believe you. Yeah. So I don't know if I retweeted a – you remember Eddie Lack? Oh, of course. Yeah, he had a really fun day on Twitter yesterday. Did he really? He did. Why? What did he do? Because maybe he was like drinking or something. <laughs> uh, he had a little, uh, him and Roberto Luongo were, were throwing some jokes around. And then uh, he tweeted, I believe, Carter Hart is one of the most exciting goaltenders I've ever seen. Yeah, and he that, said that, since Carey Price. Since, since Carey Price, yeah. And of course, Devil's fan started saying, hey, what about Mackenzie Blackwood? <laughs> oh, my the God. The issue with, with him is he's not in the fucking playoffs. Yeah, right. You wonder why Drew didn't get all that credit years ago? It's because we weren't having playoff success. That's what happens when you're when your market is not consistently in the playoffs making noise. Super interesting topic here because I had a former Flyer, former Devil, Stanley Cup champion Jim Dowd on a couple weeks ago, and I asked him about Mackenzie Blackwood, and his response was, "He'll be a very, very good backup goalie." And he watches this kid every night. Really, backup yes. goalie. Yes. You know, as much as much flack as I can give Blackwood, his numbers are very close to Carter Hart's, albeit two or three years more with pro experience. But that that devil's defense, name me one guy who's even top four on a single other team. You can't. That that's not a good defense. That's not a good team. And he kept them competitive. So he's a starting goaltender. He may end up being, you know, a high end starter in the league. I I don't see shock, man. <laughs> I was super shocked. I'm like, now, as a guy who hates the Devils, I'm great to hear that. I can't stand that organization, but uh, <laughs> I was like, backup goalie, dude. And he was like, yeah, I think he's going to be a good backup. I'm like, holy crap, man. Because I think we That's... were talking about Askarov in the draft or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's wow, man. he needs to be in Edmonton. Yeah, for real. They need him. So uh, let's hit a quick commercial ad break for anchor and we'll come back with veronica from happy hour okay guys we're back with the bright side we have a special guest from the happy hour podcast veronica veronica thanks for joining us how are you thank you so much i'm doing great how are you guys doing pretty good so there's been some news coming out that i kind of want to touch on right away with you just to get it out so the big news today Claude Julien. Yes, he had some kind of um, what's su- suspected to be a heart episode. He um, had chest pains last night at his hotel in the bubble in Toronto, and um, he was rushed to hospital by ambulance and um, uh, was undergoing tests 
today. And so the GM made the announcement that um, he won't be back for hmm. the series. No. Um, and also um, early signs point to uh, sort of encouraging news that he's going to be okay. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. Um, yeah. What a shock. Yeah. First off, uh, you know, great to hear that he's, he's in better condition, you know, it's, sure. it's kind of tough news, but uh, how difficult is it, you know, in this bubble where COVID is the number one concern when other health conditions arise? Oof. I mean, it's everything, COVID and the bubble and everything, it's affecting everything in our lives these days. And so, you know, you have the added, um, you know, you have a, a heart episode or some kind of a cardiac scare where you have to go to the hospital where there's, you know, I mean, admittedly in Canada, the the situation is a little bit more contained than it is in the States, but the second wave is hitting now. And so almost hospitals are kind of like the last place you want to be. So there's all kinds of, you know, different things that come into the mix. But, um, you know, just the fact that, I mean, it's just, he's the coach of the hockey team and, you know, I don't know him personally, but it, it, it's it sort of struck a chord in all of us, you know, sort of how fragile things are and, you know, kind of how unimportant, although that might seem crazy, a hockey series is compared to human life and everything that we're kind of going through as, you know, as a culture these days. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I did listen to your episode last night and yeah. You guys brought up a great topic, I thought, and you mentioned how Claude Julien met with Elaine Vigneault back in 2011, the Stanley Cup Finals between yeah. the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks, and the Bruins stifled the Canucks offensively. Like, I, I think I, I remember seeing the Canucks only scored over two goals one time and two goals or more twice. And, mm -hmm. you know, I guess you could attribute that to, you know, Claude Julien uh, shutting down Elaine Vigneault's team because I mean we're talking about a team with a team with the Sedins. Uh, Alex Burrows comes to mind. I can't remember yeah. anybody else off that team, but that's not an easy task to do, and to do that throughout seven games. Do mm -hmm. you think there's something to that in this series? Well, I know that, if, for example, in Game Four against the Pittsburgh Penguins just last week. Um, a lot of what I was seeing on Twitter was, oh, my God, this game is so boring. And, like, that's a Julian special. He's shutting it down. And he managed to, well, he and the team, obviously, managed to, you know, completely shut out the Pittsburgh Penguins in a game that they should have really wanted to win on Friday. And so he, you know, his methods might not be everybody's favorite as far as entertainment factor, but... I remember that game seven, man. It was it was heartbreaking to watch my boyfriend watch that game. Oh because, my god, that's right. Oh, the Canucks just could not do a thing. It was oh, it was really painful to watch, and um, that's the, the. I mean, he, a lot of he, he's Julian is still not unanimous among a lot of the fan base in Montreal, um, particularly recently with his. Um, so-called treatment of Max Domi, who people are really excited to, you know, 
to, to see him become unleashed. But I really respect him as a coach. I think he's a wonderful coach. Um, he's got a Stanley Cup. Um, he managed to win a game seven on the road and make the opponents look like chumps. <laughs> right? Yeah, we were so, happy to see that. Um, yeah. First off, Veronica, yeah. we as a Flyers fan base cannot thank you enough for what you guys did at Pittsburgh. <laughs> yes, was, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> God, that wasn't a party in the city to see yes. that on the playoffs. <laughs> You're welcome. Just amazing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's actually uh, something we wanted to ask you about. You know, Max Domi had really been released, I think it was last year. He had a real good offensive season. And, uh, you know, he's an easy guy to root for considering he, uh, you know, di- diabetic a lot like for our sure. Flyers legend, Bobby Clark. And yes. Uh, I just wanted to get your take on, uh, you know, how Max Domi's season's gone and what's led to him being in his so-called doghouse. So um, I touched on it in last night's episode, too, about Max Domi. Like, both Dave and I um, at Metal Day Zero One are both really, we would both really be interested in having, you know, Max Domi sort of break open in this series. Um his first year with the Habs was kind of like, we even talked about it when he first came to Montreal. It was like he had been languishing in the desert and then all of a sudden he was in a hockey market and he just broke out and he had the best season of his career, the best regular season of his career. Um, last year, there were a lot of rumors that there is some kind of a battle or disagreement or discord with Claude Julien and the coaching staff as to what Max should be doing. And compared to his first season with the Habs, his second season with the Habs was a disappointment. He like, you know, his production was not as great as it was in the first season. So um, there's been a lot of speculation about that. Um, You know, and even Elliot Friedman today was um, kind of floated the the rumor that there might be a trade with the Penguins involving Max Domi in Please. the off season. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know I hate it. I hate it. But also Friedman three years ago said that Carey Price was demanding a trade. So take that, you know, with a grain of salt. But um, I do think, like I mentioned last night on the happy hour, that there might be something to, you know, uh, there is the notion that Max is insistent on being a center. And right now, for the first time in a long time, down the middle in Montreal, we're looking pretty good. And so I feel like if Max Domi wants to be a center, I think they're, they're putting him on the fourth line. Mm. And if, if, if he, you know, if, if he wants to be a winger, there might be a lot more opportunity for him, especially on this team. Um, And so I think that that might have something to do with it because I think that last year um, the coaching staff was kind of treating it like with Nick Suzuki and with uh, Yasperi Kotkaniemi, they were kind of treating it almost like a development year and they were going to give these guys the, the opportunity. And I think that maybe, like, this is all my, I'm just completely, totally speculating that maybe Max was feeling a little bit, um, you know, whatever, marginalized or whatever it is. Because I think that because of his success in, the, in his first season as a center with the Habs, he was thinking that that's his rightful spot. So 
you know, there might be a bit of a disagreement there, but I really, really respect the player and enjoy the player. And I particularly am a fan of his passion, which um, I appreciate in any player who has skill. And so um, at the center position, I think that he might just be, he might just be out of his depth in this team. And, you know, he might want to consider being a winger for the good of the team and probably even for the good of his career. Wow. That's a, that's a really great point. Um, you know, for, for the, for so many years, the, uh, the narrative around Montreal is, you know, they're biased towards drafting centers, yeah, with yeah. a lot of their picks. And, you know, I, um, I have a lot of family in Montreal and Quebec and it's such a fun environment. It's such a great fan base. And, You'd hate to see a guy like Max Domi not succeed because there's not a lot of skilled players like him who have that type of ha- a, pa- a passion for hockey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want him to succeed in Montreal. He seems like that captain material. And you really hope it comes together for a guy like him. And hope to God he's not in Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> no, and for sure, um, I would love to see him flourish in Montreal because he just completely just broke out when he came to Montreal. You know, imagine going to going to practice or going to go play games in Arizona. Arizona is a beautiful state. I've been there before, but you know, you go you go to practice in flip flops, and you know, you're golfing all the time, and it's just it's not the same as being in a city as insane about hockey as Montreal is. And he just loves it. Yeah, it, it, that's a hard market to enter into because, you know, you see it a lot in Toronto with, a, you know, a lot of players getting exiled and, you know, yes. they always need a scapegoat. Montreal is a safe type of fan base. And, you know, exactly. you really hope it comes together for that kind of guy. Exactly, because he embraces it, you know. And um, we've talked about it on the Happy Hour also previously. It's like it's 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 such an incredible, diff, incredibly difficult market to play in because um, the fan base will love you or devour you for breakfast, you know, and there's no sort of middle. And this is a guy who, when he came in on his first day, on the video of his first day landing in Montreal, he was so stoked. And he talked about, you know, he talked about how, you know, fuck Toronto and Ty <laughs> Domi was like, you know, I couldn't agree Habs- <laughs> Ty Domi was the Habs' biggest fan and, you know, everybody in Toronto was so pissed off because Ty Domi was wearing his Habs jersey and, you know, they just like embraced it because they understand it, right? And so this is the kind of, like, you, you can't attract, we famously can't attract free agents because of what a difficult market it is, never mind the language barrier, right? And yeah. so you know, when you've got a guy like that, who's super passionate about it and loves being in Montreal and can't say enough about it, you want to try to hang on to him. So whatever it is that's going on, I hope that things work out. And I would really love for him to break out in this series against the Flyers. <laughs> we Sorry. Like that did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, you know, what you would like to see happen against the Flyers. Yeah. Can you give us you know, three, three reasons or three ways that the, how about three reasons why you think Montreal can beat the Flyers? Number one is Carey Price. Of course. Um, number two is, I would have to say what's going on right now with um, uh, the middle, starting with Philippe Deneau. Um, 
and Shea Weber. Shea Weber and Ben Sherratt, who in the first series against, or in the play-in series with the, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, were just absolute punishers. They were. They were I, punishers. I, I have been such a Sherratt fan since Winnipeg. I love him. You know, you want to talk about an underrated player who gets yes. absolutely no attention in the media. He plays in such a big fucking market. No one yeah. knows who Philip Deneau is. And he yeah. is an absolute two-way animal. No, um, I'm really thrilled about him. He's uh, he's didn't do as well in the in the faceoff uh, circle as he did against Pittsburgh last night with the Flyers. But um, yeah, that'll be yeah. Uh, be tough. Uh, Giroux and Couturier are top two and three in centers in the NHL. Yeah. That that's yeah. that's been our bread and butter for a long time. No, and I'll tell you that at the happy hour, the Flyers we have been in we have had deep respect for the flyers <laughs> oh, all season you know, <laughs> it, it all started when you guys picked up danny briere for the playoffs all the yeah. love <laughs> well and also behind the bench you know talk about not unanimous michelle terrien was not very well loved in montreal but i really like that coach and i was one of the one of the you know one of the minority um, who was very supportive of him when he was in Montreal. And when he, when Vigneault named him as an assistant, we we're just like, oh, shit, <laughs> look it, out for the Flyers. What is it about Michel Therrien that, that you liked? Well, um, he has tremendous regular season success. Um, his, uh, in the playoffs, he was, I know, I, I realize he's not the head coach for in Philadelphia right now, but he also, um, whether his tactics or mannerisms or accent or, um, anything, you know, for all of the different reasons that he was disliked in Montreal, besides that it was his second go around last time. Mm -hmm. Um, I really respected his tactics, um, his instincts. Uh, Dale Weiss. Dale Weiss loves the guy. <laughs> Dale oh my Weiss God. loves the guy. And what would happen, it, it, the fan base in Montreal would get so pissed off about Terry and throwing Dale Weiss on there in the last minute or whatever it was, and then Dale Weiss would come up come up with a clutch goal. Oh, like, that, it, his Dale instincts are very good. Lucci and Dale Weiss have a really fun rivalry in their playoffs, and that, <laughs> that's what attracted us to Dale Weiss at first. You know, that, uh, that sales pitch was great. You know, the reward was not there, but... <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. It wasn't, I know. Um, he just, for some reason, his best years were under Michel Therrien. And you know who else his was? Who else his were? Piqué uh, Zumed. Subban? Yeah. I loved him, man. How did you, how'd you guys feel when they traded him? Well, it's problematic because when he was in Montreal, I was probably his biggest fan. <laughs> And um, towards the end there, he wasn't doing great. And it was, you know, a, a not very well-kept secret that he was, um, you know, at odds with Michel Therrien as well. Um, but, yeah, towards the end there, it didn't, didn't go well. When he actually did get traded, I was devastated. And then, you know, as the weeks went on and stuff started coming out and listening to PK himself. Um, I kind of realized why he got traded and 
then I just started becoming this huge advocate for Shea Weber because obviously Shea Weber is like Mr. Mr. Captain Canada and Mr. Olympics. And, you know, there's nothing not to like about him, but he was not embraced by a lot of the fan base in Montreal just because of um, how sort of upset they were about the trade in uh, of uh, the trade of PK. But um, I mean, it's looking pretty good today. I was going to say, I think it's working out for you guys. It's working out. And the biggest criticism against Shea Weber when he was first traded was how old he is. And now he's older and he's better. He's a a timeless wonder, Shea Weber. You know, we as a fan base in Philadelphia were sold on him in 2012. Oh, yes. It's exciting to see what he's done in Montreal. And uh, back to uh, P.K. Subban, you know, you're not just losing a great player in P.K. Subban. You're losing an ambassador to the game, you know, someone who's very well-liked and very popular in selling the game of hockey. And um, I remember during a lot of the rumors of P.K. Subban's unhappiness in Montreal, there was talk of a rift between him and Max Pacioretty. Was any of that true? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I've, 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 I've talked to a couple couple of insiders since and uh, Max didn't have anything to contribute uh, when it came to uh, the parting of ways there with PK. Um, yeah. I think that that's a, a little bit of the insanity of the Montreal market. <laughs> and honestly, I, I, I think that PK got himself fired. Honestly, Mm. that's well, my opinion. You know, since we're talking about, you know, who's going to come up big for Montreal, there's one yeah. player I really want to talk about. And it's a pl- he's a player who whenever he's playing against Philadelphia, it's like he's shot out of a cannon. And that man is Joel Armia. And I want you <laughs> I want to get his take on, you know, is it the stylistic matchup against Philadelphia? What is it about him that he looks like the most dangerous player on the ice every time he plays us? I really like uh, Armia's physicality. He's a really smart player. He is kind of, he's a bit of a large seller in the way that he, you know, he's, he's really good at protecting the puck um, and at using his body. I'm not sure what it is about the matchup with Philadelphia because we don't often play Philadelphia, but um, he is, he didn't have a great night last night, unfortunately, but um yeah, he is somebody to look out for because he, like, you know, we are, despite the fact that we've got Sherratt and Weber, we are a relatively small team and a relatively young team. And um, Armia is, he's Jesperi Kotkaniemi's favorite player growing up. He had his poster in his room. Get out of here, really? Yeah. Small world. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? So, um, yeah, he's he's just a really smart player. Um, I think that he, when he, he's either off or on, that's the way he's looked in this postseason. But um, yeah, as far as the matchup against Philadelphia, he's got size and brains and he's, he's not afraid, which is a great quality. Let me ask you a question here because I think the perception of the the Habs, at least for us, are, is that, you know, they're a team that is playing with house money. They have nothing yeah. really to lose. You know, they're, uh, they made the postseason at, in the playing round as the 12 seed. They beat the Penguins. You know, what's the worst that could really happen? And they look like they're playing that way. They're playing loose. They're playing free. Whereas to me, the Flyers kind of looked like uh, they looked, they didn't, they looked like 
didn't expect the Habs to come out and play the way they did, you know, and they kind of couldn't match the energy, especially in the second. What's like, what's the perception of the Flyers up there? Well, I admittedly didn't really watch uh, the Flyers in the, like in the round robins because I mean, those, those teams were already in the playoffs. So they, they weren't playing for their lives. Um, but I think that what happened last night is there was something that Nick Cousins, who's now departed, um, he said last year that what they do is they go in there and assess for the first half of the first period and then adjust. And I think that that was evidence evident last night. Um, uh, there was a bit of a collapse after Shea Weber's tying goal there. But um, what we've got here and you get it because the team in Philadelphia is really young too, is, you know, the so-called, they've never been here before. So they don't sort of realize what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, they've got, I said today with um, the news about Claude Julien, that these guys don't need extra motivation, like for a team that, you know, before the pause, everybody thought had no business of being, you know, being in the postseason, and they were sellers at the deadline. They got rid of Scandella. They got rid of Kovalchuk. You know, they got rid of pieces that right now would have come in really handy. Nate Thompson. And they, and <laughs> Nate Thompson. Yes, of course. Nate Thompson. And, um, you know, and then they dispatched Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins in four games and shut them out in the fourth game. I'll drink. So, oh. They kind of have, yeah, exactly. They have, they kind of have this, hey, we belong here and we can do this. And the fact that they didn't collapse last night after Philly went ahead is, is not something, it, this is new. This is not what the team did in the regular season last year. Do you so, think that comes with the whole, you know, we have nothing to lose attitude or? I think they really believe in themselves. And I think quite honestly that with Shea Weber as their captain, I think he's leading the charge there and they're following his lead. That's a little scary to hear. I think if you're a Flyers fan, because <laughs> no, I'm like for real, because Montreal is playing like a playoff team. Like, I, yeah, I think Josh and I were, were talking before. Do we think the, you know, cause essentially that's a playoff series with Pittsburgh and those guys are, you know, in playoff mode where as the Flyers are playing the round robin games and maybe they're not exactly playoff type atmosphere. We're wondering if that benefited Montreal. They're ready to go as soon as that the puck drops against the Flyers, you know, whereas the Flyers maybe gotta catch up a step or two. Yeah, well that definitely that definitely makes sense because the Habs are just kind of like marching on, you know, where the Flyers are like, okay, hmm. now we get going. Yeah. Right, and of course they still won. That goalie, good lord, yeah. Carter Hart, he's I he's quite good. That that's a great way. You know, last topic we want to bring up with you is it's been the narrative of the entire series. You know, you have the current one versus the next one. You have you know the young goaltender in Carter Hart who's looked up to Carey Price since he was a kid. Um, talk about the matchup and uh, you know what it's been from a Montreal Canadiens perspective. Well, I think that there, there's a lot of respect for Carter Hart in Montreal. Um, we, he, we see him as a little bit of a carry price in that he's, uh, 
he's a cool customer and that you want that in your goalie as we've, you know, as, as we've come to experience in Montreal, um, we want a guy who, I mean, although he, even though Price showed some emotion last night when he all, almost <laughs> blockered oh, yeah. that guy in his neck. De- decapitated. But... <laughs> <laughs> it was like the threat. But um, no, I, I really like um, Carter Hart's demeanor um, and what he has to say and obviously how he conducts himself on the ice. That is a true asset over there for I that think- team. I think that's a great point. And, you know, one thing we see in Carter Hart that we see in Carey Price, and, you know, it's been a topic over the last decade, you know, when you talk about big goaltenders, you hear about guys like Jonathan Quick, Corey Crawford, and Carey Price. The thing that separates Carey Price and those other goaltenders is, you know, you see Quick making huge saves, you know, going from from side to side, from post to post. You know, Carey Price is such a good goaltender and such a good puck tracker. He doesn't need to make that amazing save because he's already in position to make the save. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. And that's that's something that that's been talked about Carter Hart since the draft. And it's one thing that's really drawn Flyers fan to watch Carey Price and admire Carey Price in that we have a goaltender who molds himself after such a legend. Absolutely. And you see, like every year when the the NHLers are polled for the player poll, NHLPA player poll or whatever it is, players, shooters always say Carey Price is the best goalie. Right. Mm -hmm. But. It's it's not often that you hear that a goalie thinks Carey Price is the best because Carey's um, reputation in the past few years has been that, oh, he's on the decline. And especially in Montreal, they're incredibly hard on him. Um, you know, he's overpaid and blah, blah, blah. And to hear this kid come out and still sort of his allegiance, you know, as far as goalies go, is to Carey Price, that strikes fear in my heart (laughs) because I understand what kind of goalie this kid is. Right. So it's going to be a really interesting matchup and it might come down to the battle of the goalies. Having said that, before we uh, wrap up here, it's been a pleasure by the way. Do you want to give a series score? Who do you, how do you see this rest of the series playing out? Well, in my bracket, I have the Habs winning in six. Wow. <laughs> oh we'll my see. God. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go game by game. No, it's um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, four to two it, is good. Yeah, it might, it might actually be, it might actually be hard. It's going to be hard fought. It's going to be hard fought. Four to so two is confident. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was um, buoyed by the success in the play in against Crosby and Malkin. For sure. And how can you not be? Um, yeah, love the city of Montreal. I actually, if I ever had to pick a second favorite hockey team, it would be the Canadians. I love the history. I love the jerseys. They're just classic jerseys. I love the city, the passion they have for the sport and the team. So if I had to pick a second favorite to be Montreal, having said that, I hope we destroy you guys. <laughs> and another thing about, did Montreal change their goal song in the last year? Uh, I think it was two years ago because the goal song, um, the goal song originally was by a local kind of Quebec rap group that were also fucking they're separatist. So they're obviously they're divisive already, but the guy got a DUI in the off season. So they stopped playing his song. 
but now wow. it seems like they brought it back. Yeah, I heard a little bit of it, and that was my favorite goal song ever. Like, it's so. <laughs> it was catchy. a good one. It was it's a good so, one. It's so Canadian. Like <laughs> I, I just enjoy it. Yeah. No. Last year it, it was um, briefly like this. Dun da dun da da. Hey. Dun da dun da da. Hey. But it looks like they brought back the Ale Montreal. Yes, love that. Not yeah. not for the next five games or six games, but I love that song. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we don't uh, hear that too often. But Veronica, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with us. Likewise. Thank you so much for inviting me. Okay, take care. Thank Have you, a good night. Thank you. you. Okay, that was Veronica from the Happy Hour. Guys, if uh, if you ever want to listen to an opposing team's pod and you know what better time than playoff time, you want a different perspective, check out the Happy Hour. Those guys are really awesome over there. Listen to them last night. Really a pleasure having Veronica on. Josh, a lot of stuff there, man. She seems, she sounds confident. She does. I mean, I think they have every reason to when you take down a team like Pittsburgh. You know, the confidence that gives you, it gives you that fuck you mentality that so many hockey teams like it, like the Canadians who weren't a playoff team to begin with, they'll thrive on that. And, you know, I think we saw a little bit of it last night where, you know, they're in the Flyers' faces. They know no one's giving them a chance, and that's a dangerous team. If you want to talk about a team that didn't have a chance, Flyers in 2010. Yeah, that's a reason to be to be a little wary of how Montreal is going to come out here and compete. Absolutely, dude. And that's a great point to bring the 2010 uh, team up, man, because they really had, you know, they snuck into the playoffs. Uh, and I guess, I mean, Montreal wasn't in the playoffs originally, but they beat, I mean, the Penguins. Like, come on, Crosby, Malkin, uh, you know, Matt Murray, uh, Chris Letang. They're not supposed to be where they are right now, dude. And they played <laughs> they lost- the they lost to the Detroit Red Wings four times. You know, hockey's a weird sport. Oh, man. my God. Are you serious? That's an actual thing that happened this year. They lost four times to the Detroit Red Wings, who I believe won less than 20 games. I may be wrong on that. Don't don't uh, hold oh me. Oh, my God. I that, didn't know that. That makes hockey so fucking entertaining. It's that those teams who are on top don't always win. It's someone new. And a team like Montreal, who was way out of the race, they were talking about Alexi Lafreniere. They're coming into this playoff hot, knocking out a huge team in Pittsburgh, and now taking on the Flyers with the fuck you mentality they have. It's scary. Uh, hopefully this is a story that doesn't come to fruition, but essentially we're talking about, I mean, you know, obviously the Flyers uh, Flyers rank got adjusted as well, but talking about number one seed versus the number 12 seed, you know, uh, I you know, like I said, if things weren't adjusted, it'd still be, what, 4 versus 12. So the Canadians were four spots out of a playoff spot, and here they are, first round of the playoffs, going toe-to-toe with the Flyers, who've just been steamrolling competition, even before the stoppage. They won 9 out of 10. Knock on wood, haven't lost yet since the they restarted, but Montreal played them toe-to-toe, man. They went face-to-face, and they, they could have won that game. Easily. And, um... I think it is crazy talking about that 12 seed because, you know, two-point difference, that could have been the Buffalo Sabres coming in and they could have got absolutely demolished by Pittsburgh because they, they're a complete tire fire. They but, would have uh, too, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Montreal is a team, you know, this is the bright side. We're positive here, you know, Philly and four, that's our mentality. But <laughs> Montreal is no walk in the park, you know. They're, they're going to be a tough team. They are not going to go out easy. Every game, they're going to bring it to Philly. They're going to get in their face and say, if you want to win this, you have to compete harder than us. Yeah, and as much as I don't like it, I you have to love that the fans are like Veronica with the 4-2 to two series prediction for the Habs. 
that's confidence, man. That's not like, oh, it's going to go seven and maybe we get lucky in overtime. That's, dude, we're going to beat you guys in six games. She just said they're going to win four out of the next five. So they know that their team's playing well. They're feeling confident. Dude, we're going to be in for a couple, uh, we're going to be in for some close games here. Yeah, and this is going to be a big series for the Flyers because, you know, they're more talented than the Montreal Canadiens in almost every position, arguably not in net. But, um, you know, if if the Flyers are, are able to match the intensity of a team that has nothing to lose, then the Philadelphia Flyers are the most dangerous team in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if they are able to match the intensity of the Montreal Canadiens. I agree 100%. And <clears throat> I asked the guys on high and wide last night, and it's something that, you know, maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but the Flyers, and we talked about it with Veronica, the Flyers are kind of an inexperienced team as well, you know. Uh, some of them have playoff experience, but even a guy like Provorov, 23 years old, for every single Flyer on that roster, being a number one seed in the playoffs is something new. You know what I mean? Yeah. And teams, no matter what seed, no matter what round, know that they have to play up. They have to play up to the number one seed. You know, they have to hit another gear. What I'm going to be interested to see with the Flyers, and we could talk about game two in a second, do the Flyers now have another gear? Because they need to find it. Because teams are going to be up in their game to take down the number one seed. Do the Flyers have another, do they have another gear? That's what I'm looking for now. You know, from my perspective, I'd say the Flyers have three more gears to hit in these playoffs. Fucking A. The question is whether they can hit it, whether yeah. they can get it going against these Canadians, because the Flyers, if they're all playing to their potential, potential, the scariest team in the playoffs may be besides the Colorado Avalanche. Philadelphia is not the team I would want to run into if I'm a fan of any other team. And, you know, there is a lot of inexperience. You know, we have so many, so many guys under age 25. We have a few yeah. rookies in the lineup. But I think they have looked like experienced veterans and two players who look like they've been here before. Players who right now are looking like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook back in 2012-2014 era is Travis Sanheim and Philip Myers. I mean, two guys who who look like they belong here. Two guys who look like they've been here before and they're ready to be here for the next decade. I cannot fawn enough over how that pair has looked. Like, just they've been ridiculous chemistry-wise. You know, if one of them is beat and there's a two-on-one, Phil Myers is flying back in the zone. Yes, dude. It is so great to see how how mature they have become since they were appearing back in Lehigh Valley. They're like gazelles out there, man. Like gazelles on skates, man. Like you just mentioned Myers. I could think of a play where I, I'm pretty sure Sanheim took like four strides and he went from blue line to blue line. I'm like, holy shit, who is that? They so. have been absolutely stellar. Two guys who... Of huge sticks, uh, no sexual pun there, but uh, you know they're just they're an exciting pair. they're an exciting pair to watch, and I cannot wait to see them for the next decade in that Flyers blue line. And if Niskanen isn't playing, one of them might be a top two defenseman. Absolutely, man. There's so much to look forward to with this team. Uh, let's get to our predictions for tomorrow. It's going to be lunchtime game for you so tomorrow afternoons i guess it's afternoon for us two three three p.m uh let's get to our predictions how do you see game two playing out i think montreal is going to come out a lot 
like they did in the second period. I think they're going to understand what they have to do to compete in this game. I think there's going to be a lot of fire lit under their asses, given their current situation with their head coach. You know, we spoke about it earlier, called Julian being hospitalized, not being able to be here. You know, that's that's something to play for. I think they're going to come out and look really good. But I think the Flyers are going to understand where they are. I think they're going to realize, you know, we have to ramp up our energy level a lot more. We have to be more quick with our passes. We have to be crisp. We have to be dialed in. I think Montreal comes out hot. They might get the first goal, but I think Philadelphia is going to utterly take over the series tomorrow. I hope so, man. So you think you're saying definitely going up 2 nothing? I think for sure going up 2 nothing. I don't think it's going to be as low scoring as we saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see some goals this game. Okay. I think the Flyers are going to look a lot more like they did in the round robin. You know, they're, they're going to adapt their game to Montreal's. And, you know, from a talent standpoint, the disparity is huge. Philadelphia has such an explosive offense, and I think they're going to explode come tomorrow morning, noon. For sure. And uh, I'm wondering if the loss of Claude Julien behind the bench is going to hurt the Canadians as opposed to, you know, obviously there'll be a little bit extra motivation, you know. But uh, I think Kirk Mueller is the interim head coach until Julian's able to come back. I'm wondering now if it's AV versus Mueller. I mean, the systems are obviously in place. You know, I imagine, you know, Mueller's going to coach the game as close to Julian as possible. But is he, though? I'm interested to see if there's a difference tomorrow. You know, I'm going to look to see if Montreal plays the same way at the same times that they did it in game one. So uh, there's a couple of things I'm going to be looking for tomorrow. I think there, there was a very interesting article that came out about Kirk Mueller. He was a player back in, um, couldn't tell you the year, but uh, he was playing under Jacques Demers. Mm-hmm. And Jacques Demers went out with chest pains during a playoff series. And Jacques Lemaire took over. Maybe and it's him. I believe they won the Stanley Cup that year. Get the hell out of here. This is something he's seen before. I think, you know, you have to you have to really wonder how they're going to come out. You know, I don't want to compare tragedies. I don't want to relate this to Oscar Lindblom's situation at all. But the Philadelphia Flyers came out after that diagnosis with a very bad road trip. You know, they did not look good in, you know, after they received such devastating news. They're obviously dealing with a lot. You know, they care the world for this amazing guy. So... You know, does Montreal come out down on themselves thinking, you know, we lost our coach for a while. You know, we all hope the best for him. But, you know, are our heads in the right places or are they going to come out there with let's do this for Claude Julian? You know, he's an amazing coach. He's an amazing guy. You know, he's been Elaine Vigneault's friend for 20 years and A.V. was shaken up when he heard about the news. Mm-hmm. You know, Montreal might come out here and say, you know, this is for this is for Claude and absolutely run through next game. So you don't know. It's obviously a terrible situation with Julian. And we all here and wide hope the best for him. It's going to be interesting how it plays out given starting tomorrow. It really is. And with that, guys, uh, I think that's going to conclude episode two of The Bright Side. Josh, if you have any last words before we wrap up, man, you could take this one home. Yeah, um, I just want to say thanks so much to, you know, all the positive reports I've heard, you know, on Instagram, Twitter, you know, starting the bright side was just something I wanted to do. It's all fun for me. This is what the sport I love. I love getting to talk about it. And, you know, any 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 listeners that are leaving reviews that are leaving five stars or even just texting me or texting Jim saying they enjoyed it, that means the world to me. You know, I want to hear from you and I want to hear all your voices and, you know, criticisms or compliments on how to make this better. 
um, thank you so much for the positive positivity that we've had. And we're going to be doing this a while. So we're looking forward to how it's going to play out. Jim. Fucking A, man. Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for a lot of things. Stoked for the flyer. Stoked for the pod. Uh, once again, thank you to our guest. Uh, Josh, where can people find you on Twitter, man? You can find me at da duh price is bright b r i g h t if you want to see some really bad tweets from time to time but a few about hockey <laughs> all right guys you can find me jim like hw on the twitter follow hw radio at hw underscore radio underscore tons of new shows uh including this one we also have high and wide we have full circle and former flyers assistant i'm sorry not assistant former flyers equipment manager Derek Settlemeyer will be joining our team. We'll have bi-weekly episodes with him every, I think we're going to put them out every other Sunday or Monday. We'll let you guys know there, but huge things. Make sure you look for that Sunday morning. Great stories. We talked about the 2010 playoffs, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, yeah, man, we're still, we're doing some big things at high and wide. We're excited guys. Hopefully you're excited too. So thanks for listening again and we'll talk to you next week. Anytime, anywhere, go Flyers. Oh,